Hi, and welcome back to the Beyond the Peloton podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Martin. This week, we are talking about Ineos's Tour de France, just released Tour de France lineup. Jumbo Visma, are they good? Are they bad? Tour de Suisse, Tour de Slovenia takeaways, like a week after they finish. Sorry about that. Froome going to the tour as row captain, not leader. Why that's a bad idea. And then some goings-ons at the U.S. National Road Race and Time Trial Championships. But first, if you want to support the podcast, you can sign up for the newsletter at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. There's a free one that comes out once a week. If you like the podcast, it's a no-brainer. Sign up for it right now. Just pause the podcast, go to beyondthepeloton.substack.com, sign up, and then start playing the podcast again. There's also a paid edition that comes out daily during Grand Tours. You get daily analysis. Um, there's also discounts to brands, select brands like Cure of Switzerland, Stages Cycling. So you can also sign up for that at beyondthepeloton.substack.com. All right, well, back to the racing. Uh, first things first, Ineos just released their tour lineup. It was actually a little bit different than I thought it would be. I, I assumed that Rowan Dennis would be in it, and he was. I, I think he was on their long list that they released back in February. Still not sure why they released that long list. Seems like that um, kind of put some unnecessary stress on them internally and externally and put some weird narratives into the air like they said that Richard Carapaz, Garrett Thomas, and Teo Gegenhart would be the three leaders, but then when they released this route announcement or this team announcement, they then specified that they would not say who their leaders are. But the team is Garrett Thomas, Richard Carapaz, Richie Port, Teo Gegenhart, Luke Rowe, Dylan Van Barr, Jonathan Castroviejo, Mikhail Kievkowski. Uh for, first first things first, this is a very strong team. This is the strongest team in the race. Uh, this is a very good, very good squad, very good selection. Um, downside, they have four leaders. So Garrett Thomas, Richard Carapaz, Richie Port, Teo Gegenhart are all going to the race to try to win it, no matter what they say. I mean, they'll say, I don't want to win it. Uh, I don't, I'm here for the team. If it's Richie, I'm here for the team. Uh, that, that they don't mean that. that. That's a lie. They're lying to us. Those four guys will want to win it, especially Richie Port is getting up there in age. He got third last year at 35. He's 36 this year. And you might say, well, he got third, so he's got nothing less left to prove. It's not really how a competitor's mind work, works. I guarantee you he's thinking, wow, I got third and I, I didn't even have that great of a race. I bet I could win one of these before I retire. Um, Teo Gegenhart won the Giro last year. He's not just thinking like, oh, you know, the, that was a great win, but now I'm going to go back to being a domestique. That's it's not really how a competitor's mind works. So this is a little tricky. I, it's a very weird. Maybe there's not an answer. Maybe they're just doing the best with what they have. Kind of a tricky situation. So that's where they're doing it. And then one thing they did maybe to try to minimize drama was leave uh, Rowan Dennis at home. I thought for sure he was going to be in the lineup. I was shocked that he wasn't in the lineup. But it kind of makes sense if you think about it. So he's, you know, time trial ace. He can, in theory, sit on the front. He has ridden as a three-week domestique once at when Teo Gegenhart won the Giro in 2020. But it's key to remember that for the first probably two weeks of that race, he was just stage hunting, um, which, which, you know, is a lot different than going in and just thinking like, well, we're going to sit on the front and work for leader for three weeks. So, you know, I don't know what happened there, but then just after he was left off the team. He leaks a report that he's going to Yumba Visma in 2022. So things clearly are not good at that team. It, it probably would have gotten sticky if they would have brought him because with the time trial in stage five, I think he would have taken the yellow jersey. He would have taken the race lead. That's not ideal for two reasons. Um, first is, so if you want to defend the lead, do you have your leaders then working for your domestique? 
to defend it. That doesn't make any sense. And the second reason is then, well, does he start to think like, well, maybe I could win this thing. Like I got the jersey, I can climb, I can time trial, I'm good to go. So I think that just wouldn't have been. And remember, he left the tour in 2019. I think he just went home. He just was like unhappy with his bike and went home. You know, teams don't forget that. If, if someone's on the bubble, you're thinking, well, this guy just straight up left because he was unhappy with a bike. So yeah, why would you take that risk? You know, that's why you probably should think about your behavior in a holistic manner. If you're ever thinking, I'll just quit on this project. Well, people will remember that. So and they have a lot of strong riders on their team. They have the luxury of having the deepest team, the biggest budget in the world. And that means they have the deepest team. So they can have guys like Luke Rowe, Van Barrow, Castroviejo, Kievkowski are all very strong. Uh, Kievkowski used to be, he's a former world champion. He, I thought he could have been a leader in his own right. He really struggled. If you remember when uh, Egan Bernal won the 2019 tour, he was very bad. He was very bad. But he's actually kind of disappointed as a leader, as a race winner since then. But he's kind of refound his footing as a domestique. So those four domestiques are very strong. The first glare, the, the first issue I'd say they have here is they don't have the strongest rider in the race. Um, this is uh, Tadej Pogacar, Primoz Roglic, Tour de France. Anyone who tells you otherwise is is not being truthful with themselves. Um, I've seen a lot of talk. The cycling podcast was listing off all these reasons why uh, Pogacar should be nervous after watching Richie Porton, Richard Carapaz win the Dauphiné, Crutium du Dauphiné and Tour of Switzerland. But yeah, he, he's not going to be nervous. Like, I hate to break it to you. The guy's the strongest climber in the world and one of the strongest time trials in the world and can handle a bike and can descend. So yeah, I don't think he's nervous. Like I, I, don't, I don't think he, I haven't seen anything from Enios this year individually that would make me nervous if I was him. So, um, and they, they kept kind of, it was all just kind of conjecture of like, well, he's never defend. He's actually now it's kind of an interesting point. He's never had the yellow Jersey in a road stage. That wasn't the last day of the race. So in theory, you could say, well, he's not used to defending the race. Um, but last year he lost a ton of time on stage seven and then just kind of had to methodically chip it back. And he never panicked. I mean, that should be a key right there that like, this guy's not going to get rattled to just kind of well, I lost a minute and a half, but you know, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to do anything stupid. I'm just going to chip it back. And then when it's still over a minute before the final stage, yeah, I'll take that back in the time trial anyway. So uh, I think he's a cold-blooded killer. I don't know what they're talking about. It kind of seemed, it was a lot of conjecture of just like, well, he's going to be nervous having seen Richard Carapaz lose a ton of time in the last time trial at two of Switzerland. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, he's going to be nervous having watched Richie Port get dropped in two consecutive mountain stages by Mark Badoon, who's not as fast as me. Yeah, so I don't think he's seen anything from the Ineos team that would make him that nervous, except their collective team is very strong. But big issue here is they don't have the strongest rider in the race. And I hate to break it to people, the strongest rider at the tour almost always wins. If we look back through the list of winners, Tadej Pogacar, Egan Bernal, Garrett Thomas, Chris Froome, Chris Froome, Chris Froome, Vincenzo Nibali, Chris Froome, Bradley Wiggins, Cadell Evans, Andy Schleck, Alberto Contador, Carlos Astra, Alberto Contador. Um, that's going back to 2007. Those were all the strongest riders in the race. Some people might say, well, uh, Carlos Sastra in 2008, he wasn't, he was even the leader on his own team and he won. He beat Cadell Evans, the pre race favorite. Yo, that's not like totally being truthful because Carlos Sastra won Alpduez, uh, the stage 17 uh, summit finish on Alpduez, which was probably the hardest uh, climb in that race. He won that stage by over two minutes. <laughs> and then Cadell Evans finished two minutes and 15 seconds back. And you might say like, well, Evans got 
one two by Andy and Frank Schleck. But it's like if Evans could, he just would have ridden fast. It's a climb. It's a steep climb. You don't totally have to be cagey. If Carlos Astor's up the road, just jam it. Uh, act like Pogachar and Ruglitch and just go fast uphill. That's the secret, guys. Um, that's how Chris Froome won a bunch of tours. So, And then in the time trial, he couldn't pull Sastra back when he really should have been able to. So uh, I would say by definition, Sastra was stronger than Evans in that race. So if we can just accept that the strongest rider usually wins the tour, and I think all of those results would, would reflect that, they have a problem because they don't have the strongest rider. Uh, the media and pundits like to talk of this like mythical like team overcoming. It's a collective strength of a team overcoming the strongest rider. It doesn't happen. It does not really happen. Their team matters in so far as much as just preserving your lead or helping you win. Um, I mean, even Pogachar, let's look at last year. Pogachar had a, a dog poop team. That team was not good. He was really by himself a lot of the race. Roglic had the strongest team in the race by far. Uh, and he lost. <laughs> they, they couldn't deliver it, but they defended it. If you just imagine if Roglic was as strong as Pogachar, um, he beats him because that team defended so well. Unfortunately, they defended for Pogachar, the strongest rider. So um, it's a little, it can sound overly simplistic. It's like it's saying, like, the NBA is a make or miss league. You make shots, you win games. You don't make shots, you lose games. But that's kind of what it's like in cycling. If you're strong, you'll win races. If you're not strong, you won't win races. Uh, a lot of the the nuance gets ironed out over three weeks, especially at a race like the tour where it's raced at such high speeds that just kind of the weirdness gets ironed out a bit and the strongest rider wins. And really, the so a team can affect you in two ways. They can help you defend. So um, if Tadej Pogacar had a strong team last year, he could have controlled the race a little bit more and he wouldn't have had to rely so much on that final time trial. But it can also affect you negatively if you have a bunch of different guys who want to lead the team I mean, look at Joao Almeida, 2021 Giro d'Italia that just happened. He kind of got jammed up with team politics. He had to wait for Remco Evenepoel a lot in that first two weeks. And the time he lost doing that cost him the podium. So uh, the team can affect you negatively. It can help you positively, but really just it, it can't help you exceed your own physical limitations. I could go to the tour with this Ineos team. I'm not going to win. You know, there's just if you can't go uphill as fast as the others, you're not going to win or faster in time trial, which you're by yourself, by the way. Especially the Grand Tours. It's kind of counterintuitive where people think that the classics are an individual, are more individual focused and the Grand Tours are more team focused. It's, it's almost inverted where, where a strong team is, is almost more essential in the classics versus uh, a Grand Tour, which, I mean, Tadej Bogachar proved <laughs> definitively at that tour last year. He had nobody and he won the thing pretty handily. But it's also a problem. Some, one thing I'm, I'm surprised isn't discussed more is four out of their eight riders are leaders. This is a huge issue because it, it's an issue in, in two ways. There's, there's limited people left to set pace. So let's say Woot Van Aert gets up the road in a dangerous move. They only have four riders that can really put it on the line to pull him back. Um, or say Primoz Roglic gets up the road. What's going to happen? Pogacar will probably sit on Ineos because they've pumped their chest for two, three months now. They've they've won all these small races, these somewhat rinky-dink races that a lot of the other strong riders aren't doing. Um, that's another topic for another day, though. So Pogacar's going to say, "Hey, you're, you're the big strong guys. I'm going to sit on sit on your wheel." Um, and who's going to pull that back? You know, Richie's not going to pull. Richard Carapaz isn't going to pull. Garrett Thomas isn't going to pull. Tay and Gingenhart's not going to pull. That really limits you, especially later in a mountain stage where. You know, Luke Rowe could be dropped. Dylan Van Barr could be dropped. And you're left with not many riders. And 
if you think of their think of their SkyTrain, you know, the team's not called Sky anymore, but I call it the SkyTrain. That's going to be harder to run too because that relies on you know everyone riding as hard as they can, purposely getting dropped before the top of the climb. They're not going to be able to execute that because a lot of these guys are going to hold back. They're not going to want to sit there and set pace for Garrett Thomas when they have doubts about Garrett Thomas's ability to climb better than them. Um, and what's going to happen if they do drop Garrett Thomas? Who's going to go back for him? You know, what are they going to do? And you know, it's a really messy situation. I- I'm surprised it's not talked about more. It's it really depletes their ability to work because the more leaders you have, the less domestiques you have, which makes your team you know effectively weaker. And also, if you know, if you're saying, well, you guys are all leaders, what do they do? I mean, who works for who late on a climb? You know, I guess they're going to have to sit in wheels and just let the road decide. But as we saw a tour of the Basque Country, that was a perfect example of how this is messy. When Brandon McNulty took the took the race lead, Tadej Pogacar stays back to help him. He gets dropped, and now Tadej Pogacar's dropped as well. So you can get caught in between two goals where if Pogacar just would have gone with Roglic at that race, he wins the overall. But he stayed with his teammate, who then lacked the strength, and then he was dropped because he stayed with his teammate. You know, that, that's exactly what could happen here, where we saw at um, the Dauphiné that Garrett Thomas just isn't as strong right, right now this year, really since 2018 at climbing. You know, he's not as good at climbing anymore, but that's because he's old. He's 35 years old, you know. I think the oldest winner of the tour in the last 100 years. There's been no rider yet. I think the oldest winner in the last hundred years is Cadell Evans at 34 years old. So, um, and their team is half of these leaders are old. Garrett Thomas is 35. Richie Port's 36. They're not going to win it. They're 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 too old. Um, Teo Gegenhardt's just not good enough. Yeah, he's won the Giro. That was kind of a funky Giro. It was a weak field, if we're being honest. Um, and a lot of things fell in his favor. He's very strong. He's not a Tour de France winner. Um. I would bet a lot of money that he will never win a Tour de France. I'd say that leaves them with Richard Carapaz. So um, that kind of takes us into a few belated Tour de Suisse notes. Where So Carapaz wins the Tour of Switzerland. Um, great result, right? Right on the surface, that looks fantastic. And he did. So it was this eight-stage race. He looked great for seven of the stages. Um, I really thought if you just isolate those seven stages, it's like, man, this guy could win. I even went and put a bet on him because um, the betting markets have Pogacar as the favorite, Roglic is the second favorite. I've spread my bets out between those two where I win if either of them win. But Garrett Thomas is third. I think that's a huge mistake. Um, That's a huge inefficiency. He's not going to win the tour. He shouldn't be the third favorite. He's certainly not the third most likely rider to win, in my opinion. Uh, but Carapaz is, and then Carapaz is fourth in the betting markets. And I got him at plus 1,000, which I thought was a pretty decent hedge because the way he looked for those seven, seven of those stages, he looked very strong. You know, not as strong as Pogachar, but if things fell his way, he could win. If Pogachar has an accident, has a flat, you know, he got a flat last year, he still won, but, you know, maybe that could break in a way where he wins. Um, let's talk about that, that eighth stage. You know, it was, I guess, stage seven. But the, the pen, penultimate stage, the time trial, it was a mountain time trial. Went up a mountain pass, like a 12K mountain pass, down a 12K mountain pass. Pretty simple. It should have suited him. He gets blown out by Rigoberto Uran. He loses 50 seconds to Uran on the climb, just on the climb. That's, that's not good at all. Because these climbs in Switzerland, 
that's the type of climb you're doing at the Tour de France. It's a, he won. If you remember, he won the 2019 Italia, but that's very different climbing than what he's going to face here at the Tour. The Tour, the climbs are not as steep, but they're long, and they're they're really power climbs. Um, a lot of these guys are just great. You know, it's like how Bradley Wiggins won the Tour. He could just put out a high high power output. There's no surging because the speed is already pretty high because the gradient's not that steep. It's actually not good for a rider like Richard Carapaz which is exactly how he got blown out in this time trial because he just can't sit at the constant wattage that someone like Iran can. And this is significant because Iran's a strong rider. He's not as strong as the guys Carapaz is going to face the tour. Um, th- this should be super concerning. I'm sure this shook Dave Railsford, the team boss at Ineos, quite a bit because if he loses 54 seconds in a 23-kilometer mountain time trial, imagine what he's going to lose in 58 kilometers of time trialing which is how much is in this upcoming tour and flat time trialing against really really elite time trialists like Pogachar and Roglic um or even Richie Port who's a very good time trial time trialist so that's a bit, that's that's super concerning um that's the only thing that really gives me pause i, I everything else about Carapaz i i love you know he's a most importantly he's a killer i say that like as a compliment if you watch there's a Netflix documentary about his former team Movistar and he, there's no doubt, there's never any doubt in his mind that he should be leading a race. He never says like the canned response of like, oh, I'm just here to work for my team. He's just like, I'm here to work for myself. I'm trying to win this. I'm trying to win this race. I don't care about anything else, um, which could complicate the Ineos picture if uh, you have Richard Carapaz, who's never said, if you go back through his comments from the past few months, he's never even indicated that he's willing to work for another rider. Um, When he asked if he was working for Garrett Thomas, he said, I'm excited to work for myself. And that's what I love about him. You know, he's not, he does not, I think a lot of these Ineos riders, maybe because they speak English, I just like, I I know too much about them. I find them kind of strange where it's like, Garrett Thomas and Richie Port cannot just say enough how excited they are to work for another person or each other. It's kind of weird. I, it strikes me as weird and disingenuous. Um, it makes me not trust them because I can tell they're lying about that. So then it makes me wonder, well, what else are they lying about? I find it very odd. But Carapaz, he's just so straightforward. He's like, no, I'm strong. I think I can win and I'm, I'm racing for myself. And he's a killer on the bike. You know, he's has very good race craft, can read a race incredibly well. Um, and I think he's the team's best option for the overall. Um, Richie Port looked, looked pretty good at Criterium du Dauphiné, but as I pointed out, he's getting blown out of the water on those climbs by Mark Padon. That's a problem. A lot of people are saying, well, Padon's doping, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Well, okay, th- that's kind of besides the point because Padon, even if he's doping, he's still not as fast as Static Bogachar. Just look at those climbs. Look at the watts per kilo he was put, putting out. It was not as high as the watts per kilo Bogachar was putting out at the 2020 Tour. So. Yeah, that's a problem. I mean, if Thomas and Port can't climb fast enough or time trial fast enough, yeah, that's an issue. Um, and Carapaz would be the only rider, I think, who's demonstrated that he could. He looked very good for most of that tour of Switzerland, very just calm and collected. And then when he struck on the climbs, he would really strike. So, but that, that bobble in the time trial really concerns me especially losing 50 seconds on the climb to iran that that is strange i mean not strange but i guess it just shows us the limitation where he doesn't have that steady state high power um that unfortunately you kind of it, you don't need it like marco pentani i mean but Mar- even marco pentani people say like oh he's a pure climber but it's like yeah the guy could put out big time watts 
for a long time. So even though he wasn't a time trialist, he could still kind of just grind up climbs. Carapaz is not as good at that. So yeah, that, that could be a problem. Could be an issue for Ineos. And that kind of, uh, I just want to touch on a topic really quick where like, so, okay, Iran looked great at Tour of Swiss. He could win the Tour, right? Um, no, he couldn't. And I'm surprised actually how many, I said like a, like a really good cycling journalist online being like, well, I don't know. It, it seems like outside of uh, Roglic and Pogachar and Carapaz and Port and Thomas, not many people can win this tour. It's like, well, yeah, there's never more than four people who can win it. It's a super selective race. It's the biggest race in the world. It's, it's self-selecting. Only two or three people can ever win the race at the start line. Um, you're picking from a small pool. This is not some rinky-dink race where a rider is going to come out of nowhere to win it. Um, so you might be like tempted to be like, well, Iran's going to win. Uh, Bookman could win. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. It just not, it's not common that first time, it's A, not common that riders who have never won Grand Tours win Grand Tours. I could put t- together some numbers on this. I think it would shock a lot of people who, um, it feels like these, these B and C rate GC riders often get picked to win. It's shocking how rarely, and they never win. I mean, I said before the Giro, well, there's three riders in this race who have won a Grand Tour before, Nibali, Yates, and Bernal, and one of the three will probably win the Tour, win the Giro, excluding Nibali because he has a broken wrist. And of course, Bernal won because there's a big difference between a race winner and a race loser. You know, it's more than, than physicality. Like I would guess a lot of these guys' numbers are about the same. It's just about a mentality. It's about how you view life, how you live your life. It's, it's very different. You know, you can ride it like Emmanuel Bookman, who's been on the tour podium, Rico Bursa Iran, who's been on tour podium. I guarantee you, they just view life differently than Egan Bernal, Tadej Pogacar, Garrett Thomas, Chris Froome, Vincenzo Nibali. I mean, these guys are absolute killers. You know, it's, it's, there's a huge delineation in, in life view there, in racing strategy, and, and how that feeds into your racing. And of course, you're going to have riders who win a Grand Tour for the first time because this isn't an, an infinite closed loop, but they're very rare if you think about like Egan Bernal, Primoz Roglic, Tadej Pogacar. These are elite riders. These are special riders. You know, it's like it, it really shouldn't throw that designation around as freely as it gets thrown around. Even just looking back to the list of Tour winners, it's almost always a rider who's won the Tour before and at, at minimum won a Grand Tour before. So if you're thinking about Rigo, like Rigoberto Uran, Emmanuel Bookman, et cetera, et cetera, just, just stop thinking about them. They, they're not going to win the race. Um, it's just not going to happen. It, Grand Tours are won by people who have won Grand Tours before. It's a boring thing to say, but that's the truth. One rider, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to break my rule that I just said. It. One rider that I thought was a really interesting at the Tour of Switzerland is Julian Alaphilippe. Um, I used to be an Alaphilippe hater, not a hater, but Ala believers in 2019, it was so annoying where it's like, well, this guy's not going to win the tour, but whatever. It's, this is kind of exciting. And in 2020, he, I thought he really struggled to, it's funny, he had an off year and he won the world championships, but I thought he struggled to have the form that he had to recapture that form from 2019. Um, he was never really in contention at the tour. We didn't have the same Ala believer wave last year, but, it, but what I, what I kind of thought in 2019 is he just doesn't have the climbing ability. He, he can't do long climbs. You know, he had a pretty good TT in that race, but so like when this thing's going to, when this gets to the high Alps, he's going to get dropped. And that's exactly what happened. He almost looked out, looked out because part, the hardest part of the hardest stage got cut due to weather. And then one of the hardest stages, stage 20 got really shortened. So if he, things could have dropped where he won that race, um, which would have been kind of 
controversial and wild where if a French rider was about to win the tour for the first time since like 1987 and then the French organizers just like suddenly cut off all the hardest climbs, that would have been weird. But it, so at Swiss, I, he looked pretty good on the climbs and he would have gotten, I think he would have gotten third overall at this race, but he left for to attend the birth of his child. I, yeah, I can support that. That's a special moment. But so he would have gotten third at this race, which is a big deal. That's a really big deal. I, I was surprised that wasn't talked about more, but the biggest, I thought the biggest thing I noticed is just how good he looked on that time trial on the climb. He gets fifth in the opening time trial, um, only 19 seconds behind Stefan Kuhn, who's a specialist. And th- this is super impressive because he gets first out of the GC contenders. And this is a flat power time trial, which he's never been good at. And then on that stage seven mountain time trial, he went over the top of the climb only 12 seconds back on Rigoberto Uran. He did ride a road bike, which in theory should help him. Um, he lost a ton of time on the descent because of the road bike, it's just not as fast on a flat straight descent where like, I think Iran was going like a hundred kilometers an hour. Um, you're just not going to reach that speed on a road bike, but that, that is a climb that would traditionally not be good for Alaphilippe. A solo mountain pass, a solo long, not that steep mountain pass is really his, like he was his huge weakness in the past. So I thought that was really interesting that he looked that good on it. Um, is he going to win the tour? No, no, it's not going to happen. But I would say his his percentage it's it's over one percent. It's kind of an interesting dark horse. And the thing I know I just said first time Grand Tour winners don't win Grand Tours. Whatever, whatever, et cetera, whatever I was saying. The thing I the one exception I would make is Alphilippe is a race winner. You know he he wins a lot of one day races. Like he just won the World Championships. He knows what it takes to win a race. Um, I would always always kind of support a rider like that over a a career you know, let's say top 10 finisher at Grand Tours. Those guys are very good. They're so talented. They can do something that so few people can do. But I, I don't want to be mean by saying this. I'm trying to think about like a, a somewhat nice way to say this. They're just, they're almost like uh, career losers, like by definition. I'm not like saying that in a negative way. Where we saw at Criterium du Dauphiné, where it was all, it was like the murderer's row of guys who just kind of consistently get top tens at Grand Tours and never compete for the wins, like Wilco Kelderman, et cetera. Um, and they just didn't, they don't have, it's like domesticated animals or something. Like they don't have what it takes. They've never learned the skills to hunt for themselves. You know, Port was on the ropes. Port was isolated. Garrett Thomas was dropped. Kelderman could have gotten third in that race if he just hit the front, but he didn't, he doesn't know how to do it. You know, the, the skills are not there. Like the killer instinct is not there. Um, Alaphilippe has the killer instinct. If he could climb with these guys, he can certainly time trial better than most. And he, he's a, he's a winner. <laughs> so I, I don't want to sound like Skip Bayless, like you're a winner, you're not a winner, but it's, it is that simple in some respects. So if you're looking for outside picks that aren't Carapaz, Roglic, Pogachar, Alaphilippe is interesting to me. Um, he, he's climbing incredibly well. He's going to have new dad strength. Um, I thought. I think I would always, always pick someone like that over just to cur- these guys. They make careers just getting like top tens at GCs, which is like it's a it's a very good career. They get paid very good money, um, but they're just it, there's a they're just never going to win. It doesn't happen. It almost never happens. Last note from Tour Switzerland. I know I barely talked about Tour Switzerland, but. Uh, that, I did think that stage seven mountain time trial was awesome. Um, ASO should really pay attention to that. It wasn't just a lot of times when they do mountain time trials, they're just like, yeah, we'll finish up a climb or we'll just do it up a mountain. 
but I thought it was actually dynamic to have it go up a mountain pass and then down a mountain pass. It, you know, it made it, well, maybe I should ride a road bike. Well, maybe I should ride it. You know, I'll ride a time trial bike because I can descend faster. I think it added some games, like a gamesmanship there. And it was just really cool and dynamic. And who would have guessed that Iran would almost overtake Carapaz to win the, win the race? I mean, that wouldn't have happened on a flat time trial. Carapaz could have just found a wattage and held him off easily. But that was a really dynamic time trial. Um, definitely something that should probably be repeated. Um, I know I've been talking a lot about Tadej Pogacar being the hands-down favorite. I still believe that. He did raise Tour of Slovenia, which I thought was kind of strange because um, there, there are like high mountains in Slovenia. They're, it's not as high. Your elevation, you're just never quite as high as like Italy or Switzerland. Um, and if you remember the combo with Marco Panati from a few weeks ago, he did say like the main thing is to stay as high as possible, as close as possible to a big race. Um, so... Pogacar definitely broke that theory and was hanging out close to sea level for most of the race in Slovenia. The course, there are big, big mountain passes in Slovenia. They did not go up any of them. So it was kind of a, it's a, it's definitely a poor course. It's, it's a hard course. It's good racing, but it's not what you do to prepare for a Tour de France. If you're trying to win the overall, um, I thought that the decision was, was kind of strange. I know he wants to race his home race and win there. And that probably meant a lot to him, but I would have pushed back on that if I was team management. I thought this is kind of like the worst possible thing he could have done. And the competition was not high. Um, I think Diego, Diego Ulisi got second, who's his teammate. So there was never, there was no battle in the GC. And he, so we can assume he's not, he was not being pushed as much as, let's say, uh, Primoz Roglic is in the high eight French Alps right now getting probably perfect altitude training in. And then Rich Carapaz was at Switzerland getting pushed for that overall win by some of the best riders in the world. So definitely, definitely not the best preparation there. One thing I did notice though, I think it was stage two where it was a short, it was not a long climb. It was like 25 kilometers from the finish. He dropped everyone on the climb, went over with like a 49 second gap, didn't even attack, just rode him off their wheel. And by the finish, he had a minute and a half. That means he descended and rode the flat to the finish much faster than a group behind. So he's definitely in good fitness. You know, if the cycling podcast is saying that he should be crapping his pants looking at Carapaz and Port, I think Port and Carapaz, uh, I think it's, it's the reverse. They should have watched that stage and been like, oh my God, this guy's flying right now. Yumbo, let's talk about them for a second. Um, Primoz Roglic, I think this, uh, he, so he skipped all the Tour de France preparation races. If you remember, he looked great at the Criterium du Dauphiné last year, but then crashed on the second to last stage. And I think he never quite recovered from that. Um, probably contributed somewhat to his late race struggles at the Tour. So we just thought, well, why would I risk that? It kind of seems silly. I can just go to altitude and do uh, actually better training for the Tour than I could at the Dauphiné. And if you also, if you remember that Panati interview, he mentioned that a lot of these preparation races, you're not doing enough climbing meters or not like vertical climbing meters as you could get in a training camp that would actually better prepare you for a grand tour. So uh, that makes a lot of sense, that decision just to kind of skip it and go to altitude and train. But one big problem here is his team stinks. Yamba Visma was the strongest team in the world last year. They really took control of the tour from day one. You could say that actually was a bad idea but we won't relitigate that right now. But they are, are really struggling. Um, they, they didn't have a rider in the front group on a climbing stage in either the Dauphiné or Switzerland. That's really not good, especially since they sent their like elite climbing core to both of those races. Jonas Vindegaard, Sepp Kuss, um, Anton Twolhook, and 
Sam Omen. I mean, those guys are supposed to be world-class climbers, and they got dropped every hard stage of every one of those races. Uh, Coos probably looked the best out of all of them. Uh, he did. He was riding pretty aggressively at the Dauphiné. He he just got dropped every time, though. I mean, someone did point out that like, well, won't he be strong enough to work for the team? He probably will, and he'll probably be able to help Roglic late on climbs. They're just not going to be setting pace and burning off, trying to burn off the competition like they were in 2020, uh, which could, which in theory and, and oddly could actually help them because it will make the race more open. Uh, which could help Roglic. I think they actually rode against his interest in 2020 by keeping it so conservative that it just helped Pogachar. Because if you don't have the strongest rider, you want the race to be as crazy as possible. It's like, yeah, the Sky Train is great if you're the strongest rider in the race. If you're not, you're just helping a rider that's stronger than you. Wild card is Woot Van Aert. He looked fantastic earlier this year. Great, er, good enough that I thought he could have an outside shot at winning the tour, which I guess if he's healthy, we, he still could, but he got appendicitis and had surgery. He couldn't race, so we don't really know what's going on. I wouldn't write him off just because of that, though. He could, he could be, I saw he's also in the French Alps with Roglic getting some great, great training rides in. So I, I wouldn't totally write him off. And, you know, maybe add him in with the Philippe as a rider who could be like a wild card if things really got weird, could win the tour. I know I said things don't get weird at the tour, but I also said the strongest rider usually wins. And Woot Van Aert could, could actually be the strongest rider at this tour. I know people might question my sanity after hearing that, but you know, he's, he's a world class, a literal world-class time trial. He's got second of the world championships. And when he's fit, he can climb with the best in the world. So he definitely, it, it's not insane to think he could win the race. Okay. So uh, one of the last topics, Israel Startup Nation announced that Chris Froome is going to be their road captain for the Tour de France. I wrote a post about this on the, the newsletter. They kind of will go into it more in depth, but this is a bad idea. In short, bad idea. It sounds good at first because you're thinking, well, this is great because now he doesn't have to perform. Uh, there's no pressure to perform. He's at the race. He's with the team. Yay, yay. He's helping other people. Uh, yeah, that's, this is going to be a problem though because Froome doesn't know anything about being a road captain. Leaders are bad road captains. This is like, uh, it, it might sound counterintuitive, but this is a thing. This is a thing that is known in the sport where because a leader, everything's being done for you. He's never had to get a water bottle by himself. He's never had to get a food. He's never had to get clothing. He's never had to think about the road. What's coming up? You know, these road captains, this is a serious role, a specialized role. You know, it's like Andreas Clear on the Cervelo team where they call him like GPS Clear because he had every course memorized in his head. Like, this is a serious thing, a serious job, a lot of responsibility. And you're actually, the better you have been, the more races you have won, the less qualified you are to do this. So uh, yeah, this is going to be probably a careening towards a disaster because especially as a road captain, you have to be strong. You have to get to the front. You have to take your leader to the front. You have to sit on the front. Froome's been so bad, he hasn't been able to even get to the front of races this year. So definitely not good. Um, Mike Woods is going to be their leader. I love Mike Woods. I think he's a great writer. I think he's done really well for going over to Europe so late in his career. He is not a team leader. Um, some might say, well, he got seventh at the 2017 Vuelta España, but time trialing has like really gotten fast since then. And he's not, got, he's not gotten faster. So uh, he's going to lose loads of time in the time trialing. And he's, so his two weak spots are time trialing and descending. We saw at Romandy that he could not win the race because of time trialing. And then at Switzerland, he could not time trial or descend, and he lost the race because of that. He lost like over two minutes in the time trial, in a mountain time trial that should have suited him. If he doesn't lose that time, he could have won the race overall. So 
he's really, really just uh, just a poor descender in time trials. Unfortunately for him, there's eight stages that finish on the descent. There's 58 kilometers of time trialing. There's only two uphill finishes. Those are probably going to get won by Matthew Vanderpool, let's be honest. And I believe there's only two summit finishes. So there's not many stages that actually suit him. So what's going to happen here is, I hate to sound negative, but this is absolutely what's going to happen, is Woods is going to fall out of contention. The team's going to have to switch to stage hunting, which is uh, what happened at the Giro. It worked out pretty well for them at the Giro, but the difference here is going to be Every time Froome is struggling, there's going to be a TV camera on him. He's going to have to, like, the story of the race is going to be like, wow, Froome's really bad, and Froome can't help his team. Instead of this feel-good story of like, wow, look at Chris Froome working for his teammates, he's not going to be able to physically perform the work. And then when they have to switch to stage hunting, he's not going to be able to get in breaks to try to win stages. Uh, they're not really setting him up for success here, but as I point out in the newsletter, they don't really have a choice. I think maybe the team captain thing was a step too far. They just sort of said, yeah, he's going as a leader. And then when he gets dropped, it's like, well, he's not in shape. Maybe next year. I think that would have been the, the move. The road captain thing, it's, it's like a step too far. It's unnecessary. And it's setting him up for an even bigger failure than just, you know, how many, how many guys go to the tour as a team leader and don't win the race? It's like common. It's like 20 people a year, you know? where like a fifth of the race was saying like, yeah, I'm going to try to win. And then they don't win. It's, it's not a big deal. It's not a big story. Uh, there's not often team captains that can't stand the Peloton. That, that is a bigger story. That is weird. That is an outlier. So yeah, I think they just should have said, uh, yeah, he's our leader. Oh, he's bad. Oops. Um, and they have to take him because they're paying him $5 million, 5 million euros a year. You can't realistically keep him at home. I mean, that's just too much money to not race someone. And he's, looks like he is physically strong enough to finish the race so uh, they had to race him i think they should have the messaging should have been different um and then last thing i'll talk about is u.s national time trial championships were yesterday chloe digert won the women's race lawson craddock won the men's race both of those people are on the u.s olympic team so when i said i didn't understand lawson craddock pick for the olympic team oops my bad he looks really good probably the strongest he's ever looked, I'd say. I mean, he's never even podiumed at U.S. National Time Trial Championship, so to win it, to beat Chad Haga, who is a Vitalia time trial winner, is pretty impressive. Um, Diger, one note on Hertz. So this is the same course. It's like been the same course for a few years. It's the same course she won on, in, or she got second on in 2019. Second place, Amber Neiman rode about the same average speed. Tiger was like two kilometers per hour faster than she was in 2019 when she won the World Championships like easily. So I would say she's definitely on track to win the Olympics. That was a pretty impressive performance from, from her. Even though she's a, she's an, an out an out and proud racist, kind of makes it odd to talk about her like just as a bike racer. But if we're just sticking to the narrowest possible subject matter, she looks like she might win the Olympic time trial championship or Olympic time trial gold medal. Um, I would actually I would not recommend ever gambling on the Olympic cycling events. They're, they're really crazy. You get a lot of outlier results. That might be one you might want to lock in. Criterium races for men's and women's are tonight. I assume Justin Williams will win the crit. Um, kind of like his team, his Legion team dominated at Tulsa Tough. I won't talk about that here since that's a little too niche, but maybe I'll start a cr Criterium-specific podcast network. We can talk about how no one was good at Tulsa Tough except for Legion. Um, but then the road races are on Sunday. So the women's race, the women's race is probably the one to watch here. The men's race, it's, it's, it's interesting, but the, the stakes are kind of low. I mean, none of these, 
the U.S. doesn't have any world-class one-day riders. So it's, it's a little, I've, it's never really captured my attention since like George Hank Happy and this guy's retired. But the women's races, uh, stakes are pretty high, especially since there were some big names like um, Lawrence Stevens and Kristen Faulkner left off the Olympic team and Taylor Wiles. So all those three riders, one of the three could win the U.S. road championships and not be on the Olympic team, which would be pretty, pretty interesting, kind of controversial. Um, I'm sure the, the three of them are very eager to win it, to stick it in USA Cycling's face for leaving them off the team. Defending champion Ruth Winder will be there. She won in 2019. I actually saw her riding two days ago in Boulder. So uh, she's probably trying to stay at altitude as long as possible before the race. And then the other Olympic team riders like Corinne Rivera, Leah Thomas, Amber Nieben, and Digert, guess I guess could win. I don't actually, I don't think, I've not seen anything from, Ruth Winder's been working, she's on a really strong team on Trek. She's been working for her team all year. If we remember, she won the photo finish that I'm still not sure was the correct photo finish at Bronze Appeal. So she she is in, in great shape. I wouldn't be shocked if she won. That is hard, though. You don't see many repeat national champions. It's a really hard race. It's kind of an interesting race because teams kind of race for each other, but kind of race against each other because it's kind of every man or woman for themselves. Uh, Rivera hasn't won a World Tour race in three years. I think she tends to be overrated because. If you remember, she won Tour Flanders, I believe, in 2017, and she's kind of still dining out on that. Um, she's not. She's a rider who things really have to fall in her favor, and it has to get to a sprint finish for her to win. She's not a great solo rider, which is tough at, at nationals. Um, on the men's side, I have no idea. I, I could not guess who's going to win this race, um, but I will be breaking that down in probably two separate editions, probably one for the men's, one for the women's early next week. But have a great weekend, and I'll be doing maybe multiple pre-Tour de France podcasts next week when we get the when other teams start releasing their their rosters, and we can really dive into the roots and who we think is going to do well and what parts of the race. But have a great weekend! Thanks for listening. Bye.